Chapter Thirty Five of Norse Pole Voyages by Zaharia A. Mudge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirty Five A Fearful Storm. While the George Henry lay at Grinnell Bay, Mr. Hall talked much with the masters of the whale ships and with the most intelligent of the natives concerning his proposed journey to King William's Land. This was a far-away region, where the remains of the Franklin expedition had been found. He proposed to secure the company of one or more Eskimo, and make an attempt to reach it with a dog-sledge, and to take up his abode with its natives in search of information of the lost ones. But both his white and Eskimo advisers agreed that it was too late in the season to begin such a journey. Mr. Hall would then take the whaleboat built for him, man it with natives, and make the attempt by water. But this was deemed impracticable until spring. So he decided to make his home on board the vessel so long as she remained on the coast, and pursue his study of the Eskimo language, and his survey of the region of country, with this home as a base of operations. On his return from one of his inland excursions with Kudlago's son, whom the whites called Captain, he saw his widow, apart from all the people, weeping for her great bereavement. Her son ran to her and tried to comfort her, but she would not be comforted. When Mr. Hall approached, she pointed to the spot where their tent was pitched when Kudlago left for the United States. She also showed him the bones of a whale, which he had assisted in capturing. Soon after this the widow visited the vessel with her daughter, Kimilu, who had been the idol of her father. She looked sad on the mention of her father's name, but childlike her eyes gleamed with joy on seeing the fine things his chest contained for her. Captain B.'s wife had sent her a pretty red dress, necktie, mittens, belt, and other like valuables of little white girls. But Mr. Hall suggested that Kimilu's introduction to the dress of civilization should be preceded by soap and water. The process of arriving at the little girl through layers of dirt was very slow. When this was done, her kind friend Hall took a very coarse comb and commenced combing her hair. This had never been done before, and of course the comb pulled, in spite of the care of the operator, but Kimilu bore it bravely. Her locks were filled with moss, greasy bits of seal, and disgusting reindeer hairs, besides other things both active and numerous. A full hour was spent on the hair, but when the comb went through it easily, then the little girl ran her fingers into it, and braided quickly a tag on each side of her head. She then drew these through brass rings, which Mr. Hall had given her. Her Eskimo fur trousers and coat were thrown off, and the now clean and really beautiful girl put on the red dress. Her happiness would have been complete, had her father been there to share her joy. Mr. Hall's kindly nature led him to study the natives in these incidents, and to record them in his journals. Ugarg was one time in the cabin when Mr. Hall had put a few small balls of mercury on a sheet of white paper. It was a new article to the Eskimo, and he tried to pick it up with his thumb and finger, 
but it escaped his grasp. His efforts would scatter it over the sheet in small globules, and then, as he lifted the corners of the paper, it would run together, and Ugarng would commence catching it with new vigor. He continued his efforts for a full half-hour. Amused at first, but finally losing his temper, he gave it up, exclaiming petulantly that there was an evil spirit in it. Blind George became a constant visitor. At one time Mr. Hall gave him a much-worn coat, showing one of the several holes in it. George immediately took a needle, and bringing his tongue to the aid of his hands, threaded it, and mended all of the rents very neatly. At another time Mr. Hall put into George's hand a piece of steel with a magnet attached. The way the steel flew from his hand to the magnet amazed him. At first he seemed to think it was not really so, but when he clearly felt the steel leap from his fingers, he threw both steel and magnet violently upon the floor. But feeling he was not hurt, and that some little girls laughed at him, he tried it again more deliberately, and was better satisfied. Mr. Hall next gave him a paper of needles, desiring him to bring the magnet near them. He did so, and when the needles flew from his hand by the attraction, he sprung to his feet as if an electric current had touched him, and the needles were scattered in every direction over the floor. He declared that Mr. Hall was an angekok. On the 14th of August, another whaling vessel belonging to the owners of the George Henry arrived at Grinnell Bay. Her name was the Georgiana, Captain Tyson, though there were now four vessels near each other, the Rescue and Black Eagle, besides those just named. There were social, merry times. But Captain Buddington, having built a hut, here, that some of his men might remain to fish, took his vessels farther south, for winter quarters, into a bay separated from Frobisher Bay on the south by only a narrow strip of land. This Mr. Hall named Field Bay. Here, snugly hid in an inlet of its upper waters, the vessels proposed to winter. The Eskimo were not long in finding the new anchorage of the Whites, and in a few days a fleet of kayaks containing seven families appeared. Among them was Kudlago's oldest daughter, now married to a native, the sailors called Johnny Bull. She had not heard of her father's death, and stepped on deck elated at the thought of meeting him. "'Where is my father?' she inquired of Ugarn's wife. When she was tenderly told the sad story of his death, she wept freely. Mr. Hall was at once busy visiting the Tupics, summer tents made of skins, pitched by the natives near the shore. He also rode to the islands in various directions, generally accompanied by one or more Eskimo. On one of these visits to an island, with a boy, he had a narrow escape. After several hours' ramble, they returned to the landing, where they had left their boat fastened to a rock. The tide had risen, and the boat was dancing on the waves out of reach. Here was a fix. They were far away from the vessel. The night, cold and dark, was coming on, and they were without shelter. But necessity sharpens one's wits. After some delay and perplexity, Mr. Hall hit upon this plan. He took the sealskin strings from his boots, and the strings by which various scientific instruments were attached to his person, tied them together, and thus made quite a long and strong line. 
To this he tied a moderate-sized stone. Holding one end of the line in his hand, he tossed the stone into the boat and gently drew it to him, jumped into it, and was soon at the vessel. If Mr. Hall had not been a green boatman, he would not have fastened his boat below high-water mark when the tide was coming in. He probably did not again. One day the crew of the Henry captured a whale in the bay, and the Eskimo joined with others in towing the monster to the ship. In one of the boats was an Eskimo woman with a babe. She laid her child in the bow of the boat and pulled an oar with the strongest of the white men. Before they reached the vessel, the wind blew a gale, the sea ran high, and at times the spray shot into the air and came down in plentiful showers into the boat. The mother cast anxious glances at her child, and as if it was for its life, rowed with giant strength. At last, the prize was safely moored to the Henry, and the natives were rewarded with generous strips of its black skin, which they ate voraciously, raw and warm, from the animal. They carried portions of it to their tupics on shore for future use. This skin is about three-fourths of an inch thick, and in even Mr. Hall's estimation is good eating when raw, but better soused in vinegar. Soon after this, Captain Tyson brought the Georgiana round into Field Bay, and the crews of the two vessels were often together when a whale made its appearance, a circumstance sometimes the occasion of strife when he is captured. One day Smith, an officer of the Henry, fastened a harpoon in a whale, and was devising means to secure his prey. Captain Tyson, who was near in his boat, killed the monster with his lances, and without a word left Smith to enjoy the pleasure of taking it to his vessel. The generous act was appreciated on board the Henry. On the 26th of December a terrible storm commenced, causing the boats which were cruising for whales to scud home. The three vessels, the Henry, Rescue, and Georgiana, were anchored near each other, and near an island, towards which the wind was blowing. It was about noon when the storm began, and as the day declined the wind increased, bringing on its wings a cloud of snow. When the night came on it was intensely dark, and the waves rose higher and higher, as, driven by the tempest, they rolled swiftly by and dashed upon the rocky shore. The vessels labored heavily in the billows and strained at their anchors, now dipping their bows deep in the water, and rising up the top of the crested wave, and leaping again into the trough of the sea, as if impatient of restraint and eager to rush upon the rocks to their own destruction. The roar of the sea and the howling of the winds through the shrouds were appalling to all on board, while they awaited with breathless interest the integrity of the anchors, on which their lives depended. As the night wore on, the watch on deck, peering through the darkness, saw the dim outlines of the rescue steadily and slowly moving towards the shore. She drags her anchors, were the fearful words which passed in whispers through the George Henry. But all breathed easier to hear the report from the watch soon after that she had come to a pause nearly abreast of the Henry. About midnight the storm put forth all the fury of its power, and the small anchor of the Georgiana gave way, and the others went ploughing along their ocean beds, 
and as the vessel neared the island, her destruction and the loss of all on board seemed certain. The endangered craft worried round a point of rocks, pounding against them as she went, and reached smoother and safer waters, where her anchors remained firm. The ghostly-looking forms of her men were soon after seen on the island, to which they had escaped. In the meantime, the men on the Henry were in constant fear that their vessel would be dashed upon rocks. Just as the morning was breaking, the rescue broke away and went broadside upon the island. With a crash, the breakers hurled her against the rocks, and seemed to bury her in their white foam. She was at once a hopeless wreck, but her crew still clung bravely to her. When the morning light had fully come, at the first lull in the storm, while yet the waves rolled with unabated fury, a whaleboat was lowered into the sea from the stern of the Henry, with a strong line attached, and the mate Rogers and a seaman stepped into it. Cautiously and skilfully it was guided to the stern of the rescue. Into it her men were taken, and drawn safely to the Henry. All were saved. A shout of joy mingled with the tumult of the elements. The Henry safely outrode the storm. The Georgiana was not seriously injured, and her men returned to her and sailed away for other winter quarters. The rescue was a complete wreck, and, what was a stunning blow to the enterprise of Mr. Hall, his expedition boat, in which, with an Eskimo crew, he had hoped to reach the far-away land of his lone sojourn and search for the Franklin men, was totally wrecked, too. What now should he do? That was to him the question of questions. One thing he resolved not to do. He would not abandon his mission. Captain Buddington thought, at first, that he might spare him one of the ship's boats, in which to reach King William's land. But on careful inquiry, he found that the only one he could part with was rotten and untrustworthy. So waiting and watching became his present duty. End of chapter 35